Wisconsin's Afternoon News is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, Sandy Max is here. So is Greg Matzik. Debbie Lazaga has got your roads. And we are following several stories this afternoon. This is the three at three on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. All right, where do we start, Sandy? Local leaders reporting a possible bad batch of opioids in the community after a record-breaking number of opioid overdoses in Milwaukee County, with 17 deaths having been reported since Saturday alone. Yeah, that is a staggering number. The average age of those affected is 50 years old. Ten of the deaths were in the city of Milwaukee alone. With one death every 16 hours, the overdose, according to the city Milwaukee Public Health Department, has indeed become a very real public health crisis. This is devastating news. This is just not good news coming after record deaths last year. And now this little spurt here, not the kind of things you want to be reporting on. All community stakeholders are advising fentanyl test strips and having Narcan available to try to combat this bad batch. All right, what's the second thing we're watching? Today is spring election day in Wisconsin. Polls open until 8 tonight, and I spoke with a couple of voters in the Oak Creek area this morning on what brought them out to the polls. Uh, Jane said the state Supreme Court race was first on her mind. When it comes to the court person, you know, part of Saywitz and the abortion issue is huge. That's really why, um, that why I thought it was important to vote today. Tim also said the Supreme Court race was important and who was in office during the reopening of businesses during the pandemic also influenced his vote. When I think about the last, uh, when we had the COVID thing, when we got our state opened up, it was the type of people that were in there at that time that got us opened up and it was a good thing. So I wanted to keep those type of people who believe in that kind of way of doing things in office. So polls are open until 8 o'clock tonight, as Sandy mentioned. So get out there. You still have time. Just dodge those raindrops. We will have election coverage, results, analysis, all that good stuff beginning at 8 o'clock. Dr. Ken Harris and I will host a show on 1017 The Truth. And you can always, of course, stay tuned to WTMJ.com or the WTMJ mobile app for the latest on election coverage. And the third thing. We're continuing to track another round of severe weather moving through southeast Wisconsin this afternoon. We are. As a matter of fact, right now as we sit here, there's a WTMJ Fleet Farm Storm Team alert for Racine, Kenosha, and Walworth counties. A severe thunderstorm warnings in effect there until 345. A look at the radar shows that there is a heavy series of cells moving right now into Racine and Kenosha counties. About a half an hour from now, it's expected to be over the lake, but this is very serious. Meteorologist Brian Nisnansky scheduled to join us live coming up at 3.38. We are also waiting right now for the Manhattan District Attorney to speak after Donald Trump has been arraigned on 34 felonies. The District Attorney Alvin Bragg scheduled to speak to reporters. We will plan to bring that to you when that happens. As a matter of fact, I see him stepping to the podium now. Uh, can we take that, Adam? Alvin Bragg. Who you are. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. He also caused others to make false statements. The defendant claimed that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. This simply was not true. And it was a false statement that the defendant made month after month in 2017. April, May, June, 
and so on through the rest of the year. For nine straight months, the defendant held documents in his hand containing this key lie, that he was paying Michael Cohen for legal services performed in 2017. And he personally signed checks for payments to Michael Cohen for each of these nine months. In total, the grand jury found there were 34 documents with this critical false statement. Why did Donald Trump repeatedly make these false statements? The evidence will show that he did so to cover up crimes relating to the 2016 election. Donald Trump, executives at the publishing company American Media Incorporated, Mr. Cohen and others agreed in 2015 to a catch and kill scheme. That is a scheme to buy and suppress negative information to help Mr. Trump's chance of winning the election. As part of this scheme, Donald Trump and others made three payments to people who claimed to have negative information about Mr. Trump. To make these payments, they set up shell companies and they made yet more false statements, including, for example, in AMI, American Media Incorporated's business records. One of the three people that they paid to keep quiet was a woman named Stormy Daniels. Less than two weeks before the presidential election, Michael Cohen wired $130,000 to Stormy Daniels' lawyer. That payment was to hide damaging information from the voting public. The participant scheme was illegal. The scheme violated New York election law, which makes it a crime to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. The $130,000 wire payment exceeded the federal campaign contribution cap. And the false statements in AMI's books violated New York law. That is why Mr. Trump made false statements about his payments to Mr. Cohen. He could not simply say that the payments were a reimbursement for Mr. Cohen's payments to, Sandy, to Stormy Daniels. To do so, to make that true statement, would have been to admit a crime. So instead, Mr. Trump said that he was paying Mr. Cohen for fictitious legal services in 2017 to cover up actual crime committed the prior year. And in order to get Michael Cohen his money back, they planned one last false statement. In order to complete the scheme, they planned to mischaracterize the repayments to Mr. Cohen as income to the New York State tax authorities. The conduct I just described, uh, and that which was charged by the grand jury, is felony criminal conduct in New York State. True and accurate business records are important everywhere, to be sure. They are all the more important in Manhattan, the financial center of the world. That is why we have a history in the Manhattan DA's office of vigorously enforcing white-collar crime. My office, including the talented prosecutors you saw at arraignment earlier today, has charged hundreds of felony falsifying business records. This charge, it can be said, is the bread and butter of our white-collar work. And fraud presents itself in all different forms 
here in Manhattan. We've charged falsifying business records for those who violated federal bank secrecy laws. We have charged falsifying business records for those who were seeking to cover up sex crimes. And we have brought this charge for those who committed tax violations. At its core, this case today is one with allegations like so many of our white collar cases. Allegations that someone lied again and again to protect their interests and evade the laws to which we are all held accountable. As this office has done time and time again, we today uphold our solemn responsibility to ensure that everyone stands equal before the law. No amount of money and no amount of power changes that enduring American principle. I'll now take questions. We conducted a thorough and rigorous investigation as we're going to do at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. Uh, I've been uh, doing this for 24 years. Uh, and I'm no stranger to rigorous, complex investigations. Uh, I bring cases when they're ready. Uh, having now conducted a rigorous, thorough investigation, the case was ready to be brought, and it was brought. Okay. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Brack, the indictment says that uh, there were 34 false uh, business um, uh, records. And they were done to conceal another crime, but the indictment does not specifically say what those crimes were. We are assuming, perhaps, that they might be election-related. I'm wondering if you can uh, specify what laws were also broken. Right. So let me, let me say as an initial matter, the, the indictment doesn't specify because the law does not so require. Uh, in my remarks, I mentioned a couple of laws, which I will highlight uh, again now. Uh, the, the, the first is New York State election law which makes it a crime uh, to conspire to promote a candidacy by unlawful means. Uh, I further indicated a, a number of unlawful means, including more additional false statements, including statements that were planned to be made to tax authorities. Uh, I also noted the federal election law cap on contribution uh, limits. But why weren't there those crimes charged? What can charge with those crimes? Well, we, we, I'm not going to go into our deliberate process on what was brought. The charges that were brought were the ones that were brought. The evidence in the law uh, is, is the basis for those decisions. Hi. Hi. Um, you had expressed a year ago that you, know, you had some reservations about the case's readiness. Can you talk to us about what were some of the questions in your mind that needed to be answered in order to bring a case you know, this uh, magnitude? Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go chapter and verse into uh, many thinking. What I will say is I believe the time period you're talking about, I've been in office uh, for a couple of months. Uh, the uh, investigation, in my view, was not concluded into the conduct uh, in particular that, that is the basis for the charges today. Uh, since that time, we've had uh, more evidence uh, made available to the office and opportunity to meet with additional witnesses. Uh, so uh, as I said earlier, I've been doing this for 24 years. Uh, I don't bring cases prior to a thorough and rigorous investigation. Now having done so, the case has been brought. Thank you. 
As I just mentioned, we have uh, had available to the office additional evidence uh, that was not in the office's possession prior to my time here. Uh, and as to uh, your part of your question about the, the federal, we have a distinct and strong, I would say profound, independent interest in New York State. This is the business capital of the world. Uh, we regularly uh, do cases involving false business statements. Uh, the, 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 so that's, the bedrock, in fact, the basis for uh, business integrity and a well-functioning business marketplace is true and accurate record-keeping. That's the charge that's brought here, falsifying New York State business records. Can I say a few more? Yeah. Thank you, Greg. I'm just going to read back one line from your I'm not going to go beyond uh, the plain language statement of facts, which I think speaks for itself. So the, the, the charge is falsifying business records. Uh, the charge requires, as I, as I uh, specified, uh, criminal conduct that was concealed. Uh, one of the concealed crimes we allege is New York State election law. Uh, I so went through in our statement of facts, which I think many of you have in front of you, um, you know, goes through um, things including, um, you know, text messages, emails, contemporaneous phone records, multiple witnesses. All of that uh, will be, as you saw in the fall, uh, borne out in a public courtroom uh, in downtown Manhattan. Our last question is Jonah. Okay, that is Alvin Bragg. He is the district attorney in Manhattan talking about the 34 felony counts Donald Trump's facing today, saying he lied in May, April, on and on and on and on in 2017. Every person needs to be equal before the law. No amount of money or power changes that. Donald Trump, stark contrast today, the district attorney in Manhattan talking about 34 felonies for the former president as his private jet lifts off at the very same time from LaGuardia, headed back to Mar-a-Lago we will be joined from Mar-a-Lago by Major Garrett, CBS's Chief Washington Correspondent, coming up here in just a few minutes, about 20 minutes later on this hour. Wisconsin's Afternoon News on WTMJ. One of the big stories that we are following this afternoon is the weather here in our neck of the woods and a severe thunderstorm warnings in effect for Racine, Kenosha, and Walworth counties for about another five minutes or so. Meteorologist Brian Nisnansky is with us. Uh, we're in for an active little stretch here, aren't we, Niz? We are, and uh, just getting word from the National Weather Service that they're dropping, they're expiring that warning down in uh, Racine and Kenosha counties, that storm fizzling out, out, out over the lake, but this is just round of one of what could be multiple rounds of severe stuff heading into tonight and maybe again tomorrow morning. All right, so uh, let's talk about that. The severe threat mm -hmm. is when, and how's it looking? Right. 
Okay, so so far the stuff this afternoon, um, hailmakers for the most part. Got a report of an inch diameter hail, uh, Burlington area, and then back towards Lake Geneva. So just borderline severe hail for us. There was some big-time severe hail across northern Illinois. Some of the Chicago suburbs had, like, tennis ball-sized stuff. Oh, like, really, wow. Really big-time big stuff. Wow. That gives you an idea of what's on the other side of this warm front. There's a warm front that is draped across northern Illinois, and it's going to creep its way north as we head into tonight. This is going to be a wild wild scenario tonight. Um, as you get on the other side of that warm front, temperatures are going to soar into the 60s. Dew points are going to be in the 60s, so it's going to feel humid. Um, and this is going to hang around into tomorrow morning. So what I'm most concerned about is the next round of storms develops along that warm front. And if that warm front clears through most of southeastern Wisconsin, then I think most of us are in for a round of severe thunderstorms. Now, if that front hangs out more towards the state line, then the severe threat is pretty minimal for us. And it's, again, the southern counties that, you know, Kenosha and Walworth County, that could be the only ones that see the severe weather. This next round, if that front clears through enough, which right now I'm thinking at least maybe 94 and south, um, really needs to be on their toes for the potential for severe weather and maybe even tornadoes. Um, the ingredients are there. I know a lot of people, there's different myths and stuff. Oh, tornadoes don't happen much at night. You need heating in the day. You need everything. That is true in many cases. But what we do have is the ingredient of a very strong area of low pressure for this time of year to the west of us, a very sheared environment, strong jet stream, and just warm enough temperatures and humidity to spawn these tornadoes. So I'm not saying it's for sure going to happen, but I am saying that there is enough of a risk tonight when you go to bed. If you go to bed after 10 o'clock, uh, you, you got to have a way to, to wake up with a, a warning. You have to have either a weather radio, your alert set on your phone. You, you have to have something that's going to wake you up. You can't depend on the sirens. Very good advice. All right, Niz, we're going to let you get back to work. You're busy in the weather center. Yep. We'll check back in in a couple of hours. Yep, you bet, guys. The second round that I'm talking about, we're talking probably after 10 o'clock for most of the area. All right, good advice, good warning. It is 343 at WTMJ. President Trump, the former president, on his way back to Mar-a-Lago. Major Garrett is there on the ground and joins us live up next. All right, let's get to Major Garrett, CBS's chief Washington correspondent. He's the guy in charge of the Takeout podcast. His book, The Big Truth has really salient stuff about what happened today, actually. He's with us from Mar-a-Lago, where he is on the ground. Uh, Major, why Mar-a-Lago? Because the former president of the United States, now indicted in a New York court of law, will come to Mar-a-Lago at about 8 o'clock this evening, give or take a few minutes, and give remarks in response to that historic indictment. And... If you ever thought there would be a day in American history where a former president would be indicted and hours later turn that into something akin to a campaign event, well, get ready, because that's what it's going to be. I'm here in the uh, ballroom of Mar-a-Lago, a place I've been many times before. One of the last times we spoke, or the last time I spoke to you from Mar-a-Lago ballroom, it was when the former president officially announced his campaign for re-election in 2024. The ballroom is exactly as it was then, except there are fewer seats set aside. I gather from that that the president's handlers believe the crowd will be smaller how enthusiastic that's to be determined and the tenor of his remarks still unknown but the district attorney in manhattan is speaking on his behalf now the indictment is out the public scrutinizing it and the public will and the president will speak from here in about well give or, give or take three hours 
So, Major, as we all know, every person is presumed innocent until found guilty, but I find myself saddened on this day. A former president charged with 34 felonies. The talk going into today was he could be charged with a felony or two. 34 felonies, and that DA you referred to saying everyone stands equal before the law. You've had a a chance to digest some of this now. What stands out the most to you with what we know? That this country is still relitigating what happened in the 2016 presidential election. The essential allegation from the Manhattan District Attorney is that there was a scheme, that's his word, not mine, Alvin Bragg's word, to suppress stories that were negative about then-candidate and nominee Donald Trump that could have had a material impact on the election. And that suppression of those stories was a scheme that violated New York code in terms of business records and a set of conversations that reveal, according to the District Attorney, motive to suppress that for political gain. So we go back to what actually happened in the 2016 elections. The president told us something terrible happened in 2020, which didn't, but this indictment takes us back to what did or didn't happen in 2016. And to your point, John, that this is a day that feels sad. It feels sad to me. It feels very sad to me. Uh, yes, I mentioned this will feel like a campaign event of some kind or another here, but that will be masking things a little bit. Anyone who saw the former president's demeanor in court today knows it's a heavy moment for him. It's a moment he never thought would come. It's a moment he's greeted with rage to a certain degree and accusations against the district attorney. But now he's going to have to face this indictment and go through a criminal judicial process as a candidate for the highest office in the land. It's a heavy day for the entire country. Well, Major, the ex-president's lawyer, uh, Joe Tacopina, had said uh, that he'd hoped the arraignment was, quote, painless and classy, end quote. Uh, Do you think it lived up to that? And uh, uh, what were your impressions on how Alvin Bragg delivered the the news after the arraignment? So I don't do uh, theater critic journalism. So Alvin Bragg is a district attorney. He's submitted an indictment to the grand jury. The grand jury has uh, okayed that through the processes in New York. He's had a press conference the uh, uh, allegations and the facts behind them, and this will now be tried in a court of law. And all the processes accorded to a defendant and a prosecution will be followed. The one thing I will say today is that it was less spectacle than I thought it would be. The very nature of the pictures are unprecedented, and so they create within the entire collective psyche of the country a kind of gasp. But the motorcade came unobstructed. The former president entered unobstructed. The former president did not talk to the cameras, though his campaign aide suggested he might. He was somber and serious. The process moved forward as it would under the rules of court procedure. And he's now flying back here to Mar-a-Lago. So in that sense, in that sense only, meaning the process, the process was followed. The process was, to the degree it's possible with the former president of the United States, normal, and the wheels of justice will turn. CBS Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett is with us from Mar-a-Lago. I find myself almost in disbelief, like belief is suspended maybe is a better way to put it, that in some quarters this seems to boost his chances of winning the Republican nomination. I know I'm getting way down the road here, but they're already campaigning on this. They're already raising money on this. And even here in Wisconsin, there are some that are galvanized now that this is the guy he's being treated wrongly. Have you ever seen anything quite like this? No, and uh, the former president, when I first started covering him as a candidate in 2015 and all through 2016, 
brought what can only be described as a unique approach to politics. It was always ready to punch and punch back hard against the establishment, against rivals, against critics, against anyone who questioned anything either about the legitimacy of his campaign or his intelligence or his political demeanor or clout, anything. And now he questions everything about whatever he did. I mean, the essential distillation of former President Trump's orientation to every investigation currently in pursuit is that he never did anything wrong ever anywhere. He is 100% innocent of everything, and he's only being hounded because he is a threat to the establishment. And there is a not unsubstantial part of the Republican Party that believes that as if it were doctrine, that the only reason that the former president is being pursued in any of these investigations is because he's a threat to the establishment. And as his backers, as his supporters, they want to rally to him almost without his request. Yes, he requested informally and formally on his social media platform, but he doesn't even need to do that. He knows that. He reinforces it, but they're there anyway. And it's a divide in American politics that is genuine. It is real. And I don't want to say it's widespread because I would suggest it's a majority, but it's widespread enough to be central in the conversation about who the next Republican Party nominee for president will be. So you're there in the Mar-a-Lago ballroom. Do you expect tonight to be defiant? I don't know. I have no expectations for tonight uh, other than the president will speak. And the people who traveled with him to New York, of course, his legal team was there. But everyone who left Mar-a-Lago with him was a campaign advisor. So the politics and the law of this will commingle. I think the president's deportment yesterday going to Manhattan, his demeanor going into the courthouse, his demeanor in the courtroom, all suggest a a somberness and a seriousness, which I believe is consistent with the advice his lawyers have given him. Treat this seriously, Mr. President, so people will see you as a serious person up against a serious set of charges, and you deserve your day in court, and you deserve your opportunity to assert your, uh, your innocence in your own terms. Everything has been, I think, reflective in the last 24 to 36 hours of his lawyer's advice, not his political advisor's advice. And major in what that he does tonight will be a combination of the two, I think. And major in that ballroom where you mentioned there are chairs set up and not as many as you might have expected to see. Who will be in those chairs? Some select journalists such as yourself. Well, so we're on the riser. We're way in the back. We're nowhere near where the president will be or his supporters will be. We're all cordoned off, and that's typical at a Trump event. Um, the people who will be here are invited guests, but also remember this is a private club. Members of the club can be here. They pay for the privilege of coming to the club whenever they want to. And one of the perks of being a member of Mar-a-Lago is you get to see moments like this. And if you believe that they are historic moments and you are supportive of the owner of the club, Donald Trump, you're going to be here. Some members of Congress who have long been in the trenches with former President Trump are likely to be here. Maybe some other politicos, um, those who are in the Trump orbit and are supportive of his reelection campaign. But as I said, the number of rows of seats and as far back in the ballroom is about two-thirds the size it was on announcement night. So it's going to be, a, uh, it seems to me they're anticipating a smaller crowd. CBS Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett on the ground at Mar-a-Lago. Thank you, Major.